You are listening. You are listening. You are listening to. Do not to not elsewhere. Not elsewhere. 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 Classified. Welcome to Not Elsewhere Classified, a podcast about the medical coding, health information technology, and clinical documentation improvement community. I'm your host, Brian Kui. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode number 19. Today on the podcast, we have Dr. Terrence Govender. Terrence is the Vice President of Medical Affairs for Clin Intel. In this episode, we go over healthcare data, clinical documentation improvement, and the best ways to approach clinical documentation improvement leveraging healthcare data. But before we begin, I do want to thank you guys for listening to the podcast. And of course, if you want to listen, of course, if you want to support the podcast, please make sure to go to Apple Podcasts and make sure to leave a rating and a review. I want to give a shout out to our partners first, the Coding Institute. I've been working with the great team, Shane and Victor. They've been providing me with a lot of information on some special pricing on a wide variety of products they offer, including Supercoder. So if you're interested in a coding platform, please let me know. You can send me an email at bcui at medicalcodinggeek.com to set up your demo with the Coding Institute and the Supercoder. We offer a great special pricing for annual subscriptions. And also, if you're a current subscriber, you can get a discount on your upcoming renewal. So again, just send me an email, bcui at medicalcodinggeek.com. Next, I want to give a shout out to Project Resume. Project Resume is a service that provides assistance with your resumes and cover letters. And if you want assistance with that, make sure to go to projectresume.net. And when you order their services, please make sure to let them know that Medical Coding Geek sent you. Next, we have the Haugen Consulting Group. Uh, you can go to thehaugengroup.com slash shop and get a 15% discount by using our promo code GEEK15, G-E-E-K-1-5. And lastly, I want to give a shout out to RadRx. You can go to shop.radrx.com and use our promo code GEEK10 to get a 10% discount on their services too. To get a listing of all of our partners, please make sure to go to medicalcodinggeek.com slash promos, or you can go to medicalcodinggeek.com slash partners. So without further ado, here's my interview with Dr. Terrence Govender. Enjoy. All right, Terrence, are you ready? Yeah, let's go for it. <laughs> All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Not Elsewhere Classified. I am very happy to have here with me Dr. Terrence Govender. How are you, Dr. Terrence Govender? I'm great, Brian. I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Uh, it's. It, I approached him so long ago, and uh, you know, when when I spoke with Terrence, uh, and he he gave me permission to say that. So <laughs> he said, "Call me, call me Terrence." I'm like, "Okay." Please. I'm like, "Okay." Please. That sounds pretty good. That sounds pretty cool. And um, you know, he. He approached to me CDI in a way that 
should be looked at. In actuality, it's it's kind of overlooked, and we'll definitely get into that from uh, a perspective of healthcare data analytics. And especially for those that are listening today, uh, especially our health information technology folks, you know, data analytics, information governance is a big deal. And especially now we're in healthcare with a transition to the electronic health record, and we're utilizing big data. The question is, is what do you do with that data? And uh, after ta- after talking with uh, Terrence, uh, he it totally made sense. And we'll get through a lot some of this stuff. But before we begin, Terrence, and uh, uh, you have as much time as you need. <laughs> Tell you know we we want to know. Well, even before that, um, you know. I, I I'm very happy to have you on because, um, you know, the, the one of the ways I've linked, you know, if I've connected with you is through LinkedIn. And so, um, aside from you, there's Glenn Kraus, of course, there's Doctor Cecilum Hoko. So between you three, the three Musketeers, you're pretty much <laughs> the the most popular people within in regards to CDI in terms of commenting. I think more between you and Glenn Kraus. So. You know, we see them posted on there. Even my colleagues say, you know, who's that guy? Is it Glenn Cross? No, the other one. The other one. I said, oh, oh Dr. Goldbender. Is yeah, I'm having him on the podcast. It's like, oh, okay. You know, so uh, you guys are very well known in terms of the, the internets and the social media in terms of LinkedIn. Uh, so it's now good to hear uh, a voice and, uh, you know, the person behind the typing. It's all wonderful. So. Before we begin, I want to let everybody know, um, or maybe it's you should let everybody know where you came from, what you're all about, and uh, how you came to be. Absolutely. Once again, thank you for the opportunity, Brian. I'm really excited about this endeavor of yours. And, you know, you say we're we're popular on, on social media, but I think that it's important to define popular sometimes. But the way I look at it, the way I look at it is, is you know... Um, even bad PR can be good PR. So uh, as long as as long as you know of us and you know what we're striving for in the industry, I'm very appreciative of that. So to go back to your question, uh, I'm originally from South Africa. Um, I uh, Cape Town, South Africa. I did my undergraduate medical degree in South Africa. Very different to the healthcare uh, curriculum here in the United States, in the sense that we don't have. Uh, a pre-med course. You go straight out of high school, straight into medical school. And of course, back in the day, uh, medical school was essentially uh, seven years and you did an internship of about two years and everybody qualifies as a, what we call a general practitioner. And then at that point in time, you have the opportunity to sub and then super specialize. At that point, I had left South Africa and I had the very, very good fortune of working in the NHS and doing some postgraduate work mm-hmm. there and nice. surgery. Yep, in the surgery. And uh, it was great. Uh, I spent about five years there, did my postgraduate work. Uh, it was cold and it was gray and it was miserable, but uh, I, got, <laughs> I got some great experience. And of course, at that point in time, CDI wasn't even uh, a concept to me because uh, both in the under the NHS system, as well as in South Africa, we don't use codes for billing. We use codes purely for the classification of diseases. Um, And so a very different paradigm when you talk about CDI. So I uh, found myself in the United States uh, after 
meeting my wife, who's from the U.S., and we decided to settle down in the United States because I love the United States, it's Florida especially, which is where I'm based now. And uh, as you know, um, it, or you may not know, um, but any physician that comes to the United States uh, in order to practice has to go through the full gamut of testing again. So it's uh, United States medical licensing exams, which I have to be honest, is it was not the most pleasant experience because you end up going back and doing a whole bunch of biochemistry and pathophysiology that uh, you don't really use in practice. And, uh, and so a lot of studying. But anyway, I went through that. And while I was doing that, I had uh, a fire under my belt to, to work at the same time. And of course, I wasn't allowed to practice in the country at the time. Right. So I was the um, a senior physician for Royal Caribbean and Norwegian Cruise Lines. Nice. For a bit. Nice. Uh, yes. Very cool, cool stuff. Uh, you know, uh, you, 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 you're called upon to bring on a vast array of clinical skills when you're on ships because you're dealing with such a different demographic right. of people. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was great, you know, tax-free money, travel the world. It hey. was fantastic. And while studying for the exam, right. and, then I, and then I also uh, was recruited to be the physician for a ship called the World, which is really uh, their condominiums at sea. And, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, some of the world's most wealthiest people on board. So that was a fun experience. And then took the exams. Uh, and when, when I was back on land, I uh, found myself in a consulting firm for a brief period towards the end of the exam tenure. And that's when I first learned about CDI. And I said, you know, I dived into CDI um, as uh, in an attempt to launch a non-clinical career um, because I, I had a vision for what I wanted to do in healthcare, which was affect change on a larger scale as opposed to one patient at a time. And no disrespect to, you know, our, our hardworking physicians at the bedside, please don't misinterpret that. But I just felt that, you know, I, I had a bigger vision of what I can accomplish in the industry or, or sort of make a dent in the industry, so to speak, versus just seeing one patient at a time. So I stumbled, Brian, I stumbled onto the CDI, uh, into the CDI world and uh, joined a larger consulting firm and um, spent many years there and we did extremely well. But even at that point, I still had a a vision that didn't align with what I was doing uh, in the in, in the CDI space. And so I eventually ended up where I am right now with Clinintel. And we can talk a little bit more about that later. Sure. Um, so, you know, I every person that I ask who I've interviewed that are that are in CDI, they have a certain uh, year that they have discovered CDI. Um, I think Glenn was was around 1995, I think, or that's when he started. Same thing with Dr. Limhoko. It was around like the late 1990s. What year do you think you stumbled upon CDI? Yeah, they would be considered veterans. <laughs> when you, They're when, the forefathers. You, you, uh, yeah, because I, I kind of feel uh, left out here if I tell you. So I would I would be I'd be talking around 2010, okay. 2011. Yeah. Okay, okay, 2010, 2011. Okay, that's pretty good. Because um, I started back in 2006, and I interviewed um, I interviewed uh, Kelly Estes, who also worked with uh, Dr. Limhoko. She started. She said she stumbled it around 2000. So you know, I think within 19, 1990s, 2000, I think it wasn't called <laughs> clinical documentation improvement. I think the concept was there. It was never titled that way. But 
you know, I, like to me, it's interesting to know when did it actually, you know, start to happen. And it's it's like, gosh, it's back in the 1990s, man. I was only, you know, in my teens, <laughs> you know, and you and you're thinking about, gosh, clinical documentation improvement. My goodness, you know. Yeah, and and I think that's an important question um, that you're asking, Brian, and I'll tell you why because. If if you if you're talking about being around for more than a decade, um, uh, you know the, the the industry itself. I think it's giving given us ample time to learn a lot about the industry, what's working, what's not working, and me being on the data side, I'm actually alarmed. Um, when looking at the entire industry's data as to the amount of opportunity that still exists in spite of the industry being around for so long. And I have my own theories behind that. Um, you know, we can chat about that if, if you wish. But, um, but if you look at the data for the entire country, CMI has been going up for the entire U.S. industry. It has been going up. So there is an impact being made. But, you know, I'm in the unique position where I can see CMI going up but I'm also able to um, identify where CMI should be. And, um, and this is for the entire industry. And there's still a lot of work to be done on the inpatient CDI uh, program function. Right. So before we get into that, let's talk about data. So you went from, you know, uh, but did, I guess my question, did you ever practice medicine before going into CDI or did you just, just make the jump into that bypass doing uh, a, a practice or no. where was that in the mix somewhere? No, no, no. I, I practiced for a short while in emergency medicine and okay. uh, literally overnight decided, okay, I'm not, not doing this anymore <laughs> because, uh, <laughs> um, and, and you know what? I was very fortunate, Brian, because a lot of physicians get up one morning and they have that feeling and they just have to put, the, put on that coat and go to work. And I was in a very, very unique position where I could follow my dreams, so to speak. And, uh, and, and truth be told, it was, uh, it was taboo when I, back when I did it, uh, especially amongst friends and families who'd say, Terrence, what are you doing? You know, this is ridiculous. You have an MD. This is what... And I was like, yeah, you know, but it, it, it doesn't always work out that way. And it's interesting because I've watched the industry change over the years. And um, now I get many physicians trying to reach out to find out how can they launch a non-clinical career. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I follow your your um, your activity. Not that I'm creeping on you. <laughs> that's okay. Like I, said, I looked at your activity, but I noticed, I, I've seen this too, that there are a lot of physicians, yes, going out of the non-clinical realm and doing things like they're trying to be entrepreneurs. That's that's one of the trends that I've seen. Um, there's a couple podcasts that I see that are physicians um, that with are in the career podcast realm uh, that I am placed in. Uh, so I see a lot of physicians becoming uh, investors, becoming business owners, becoming entrepreneurs, becoming podcasters. So you see more, you know, they're leveraging even Dr. Um, Dr. Z-Dog, Z-Dog MD, he's becoming more of a media uh, type of guy uh, and building his, uh, what's it called, uh, the incident report, you know, so his that's where his direction is all going into that. And, you know, physicians are now evolving, you know, it's not just the 
uh, traditional sense of taking care of patients. But they, like you said, it's not about, you know, there's no, no no disrespect to doing that because in order to get to where you are in terms of the data, you have to have that individual care to be reported so that way you can leverage that data and utilize it and manipulate it or uh, report and analyze it the way you want it to have it. So, um that was a good transition, right? So to, to transition yeah. <laughs> into, <laughs> I learned from Chuck Buck. So uh, very smooth, very uh, smooth. <laughs> to, to move into healthcare data, how did that person, you know, how did you get involved with that? Because I know there's people um, who are interested in healthcare data analytics, but how did you, it seems to me like you stumbled upon it, or is this something that you knew you wanted to do alongside in doing medicine? No, no. Um, uh, as I said, I stumbled upon the the CDI industry and, and did work in the CDI industry and got to really dig my heels in and get a firm understanding of what's working, what doesn't work. And, you know, my, my tenure in the consulting industry allowed me to do that. And I learned so much from so many different facilities, from very smart people that I worked with. And um, really, you know, yes, we, we deal with data. And I think that um, I think historically and even, you know, currently, I think CDI is lacking the depth of data science and data analysis, and it's always been that way. I think we just scrape the surface when it comes to data analytics in CDI. Uh, and I can say that now comfortably because of what, I'm, what we're currently doing, but when you look at even as a consulting consultant, the way we used and manipulated data or, or presented data and opportunity, in hindsight, I'm like, we've been around for so long. Why have we been doing things? You know the famous saying, if you keep thing, doing things the way you've always been doing and expecting different results, it's insanity. Exactly. And that's where, yeah, and that's where I, I, I saw an opportunity because I... I identified, and this is not even database, but I identified the struggles that I would, that the organizations were experiencing with physicians, with physician engagement, with physician buy-in, with changing physician behavior. Those were real problems that have not been fixed for as long as the industry has been around, and we're still struggling with that today. And um, and so I saw an opportunity uh, to leverage data to affect long-term change in physician behavior. Mm-hmm. And so I yeah, and so I don't believe that. And I'll and I'll be very blatant. I, I don't believe any of the consulting firms out there. I don't believe any of the, the firms out there currently are, are using the wealth of data that we have accessible to us in a way that an organization can take actionable insight on. Yeah, and you're right, because I think if they don't have, I mean, they have the knowledge in terms of the workflow, right? They're understanding how to do the workflow. They do the CDI. They review the charts. They follow up the cases. They place the queries. They follow up the queries. They have the physician answer. Uh, they reconcile those queries. They put it in the database, and that's about it. They, they close the door shut, and then just continue forward. Right, and then they buy these ex- they buy these expensive uh, softwares. I'm not going to name what they are, but you know, there's plenty of them where they 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 gather this data. But then, you know, when it comes down to hitting the report button, it's like a big question mark. It's like, well, what do Absolutely. I do? What do I do with it? No, it, 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 you sound like one of my clients right now because, <laughs> <laughs> because 
Because you know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you. And, and by the way, the the, the narrative that you just uh, outlined, there's a there's a place for that in the industry. That is a, that is a process that workflow that you just described is essential to any organization that wants to achieve optimal documentation, clinical documentation. There's that golden cubicle for CDI and its processes and workflow and our clinical documentation specialists, we cannot do without them. Um, but or if you stalked me enough, as you would say, <laughs> if you stalked <laughs> me enough, you would know that I firmly believe that the industry is heavily skewed towards making the CDI program more efficient at generating queries but not as as uh, enough focus has been fo- has been uh, placed on the physician side as to what are we doing to really affect change in physicians now i don't want our physicians and i know this is not possible i don't want our docs at the bedside to be subject matter experts in cdi it's not going to happen there's too much going on but i i think that as an industry we should by now at least have been able to affect some kind of positive change and have the results to show that you talk to organizations and they're still telling you that our number one query is for the acuity of heart failure i mean come on <laughs> it's like i said more than a decade later there's there should be some kind of uh, documentation culture within an organization. You think they have a that, PhD in uh, in CHF now? By, by then, yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. Yeah, so so you know, I, I I do believe, and back to your other point, you know, when it comes to pressing the report button, sometimes with the software that we uh, enlist, you have to be an analyst to pull a report. Uh, a simple report, and that's also sort of causing a lot of CDI's, um specialists, a lot of CDI managers, to really be sort of, uh, you know, have the cross in front of the data part of CDI. It prevents them from really sort of diving in and understanding why, and I think because a lot of the technologies have made them data averse because of the experience that they've had in generating uh, reports, etc. You know, it's, it's it, you know, it, to me, when I when I see and I hear from other programs, it's like they buy all the bells and whistles, but they don't use it. You know, they buy, a, they lease out a car and, and has everything, and they don't even use the the let's say like the seat warmers or the moon roof or you know the turbo. You know, they don't use it, and they're they're totally under. Um, how would you say under? under using their potential they have their they're not using the full potential of whatever program that they have and i think especially you make a good point with the managers i think they're torn you know they're torn because uh you know perhaps maybe it could be because of the how would i say the makeup of the department you know when you think about it you have your specialist you have your manager well then you know uh, the manager's going to be very concerned, either going to be concerned about their specialists performing or then also the manager has to be worried about, okay, what is the overall department, just the, the term, the program doing. And I think they get very torn in that aspect. And some of them either go you know, to the analytic side or also then just focus on, okay, keep keep doing what you're doing. You're doing pretty good. Uh, the numbers look good, and that's it. You know, and then again, it's just the, the bare scratch the surface type of data yeah absolutely you know i always anchor to um uh, a point that 
about 30% of the entire world's stored data, Brian, is actually generated from the healthcare industry. 30%. That's a, you know, that's a phenomenal number. But I still don't believe that in healthcare in general, not just limited to CDI. CDI included, of course. I just don't think that the industry um, appreciates the inherent value in this data that we have accessible to us. And the only way that we can really... Um, sort of fully harness this uh, this inherent value in the data that's accessible to us is through better data analytics. I, I don't believe, you know, you can, I always say to prospects and, and, and clients, in fact, I actually refuse to work with, you know, organizations that are not data progressive, so to speak, or that don't have a good clinical lead because I can sell you data and you can put it on a shelf, Brian, and it's not, it's, you know, it may, it may make you feel better, it may make me feel better in the short run, but when we start to measure results, uh, just having the data or access to the data doesn't mean anything. You know, you need to be able to take that data and really, you know, leverage it internally by means of data analytics and leadership skills in order to get the results. And that's where... We need a lot of work in CDI especially. You make a good point because when I talked to Dr. Limhoko, the one question I asked him was, what makes a successful CDI department? And the one word that he has was alignment. Alignment, yes. right? So as you stated, you know, when you're talking about, okay, you know, you do the work, you provide the, cons the consultation, you provide them that nice data analytics that uh, can make that change. But then uh, if they can't take that and make the change themselves, what did your work was just like, you know, just for no reason, you know, it's like, okay, well, here's, here's the, here's a, a good potential solution that we can implement in our program. And then when you present that, and then they, you pretty much hand it off to them, and then they give it to, let's say, whoever, you know, the, the C-suite, and it, it doesn't work, then, you know, everything just, you know, waste the time. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, organizations, if, if they want to realize the value of data downstream, then they need to invest in smart data analytics upstream. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of a, a, a cause and effect uh, scenario, if you will. And another thing that, um, just to go back a, a few points, is you know when we deal with physicians, right? And you mentioned we're not necessarily uh, making them. You make a good point. We're not trying to make them CDI subject matter experts. No, I mean, no, I mean, it's it's, it's 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 never going to happen because they're too busy. You know, they they have their 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 caseload of like 40 people plus office plus you know call you know doing uh night calls whatever and you know they're not gonna they're not gonna be bothered with that but i think um and you might agree to this one thing that they do need to have is a bit of awareness in terms of performance you know it's sometimes good to see like okay you know in terms of documentation this is my report card you know and based on that, they can establish their own baseline. They can establish their own performance and then enact on it. You know, it's like, okay. And then by a regular periodic basis, and you probably might want to elaborate on it, is, you know, as you keep on feeding them this data, I, and, you know, and remember, I'm not saying queries. <laughs> I'm saying data. You know, you're, you're giving them more data. Then they're going to make the change because 
Um, if you're not showing them how well they're doing versus giving them queries, to me, you know, we talked about this with Glenn Kraus, the Q word is something you don't want to give the physician because they're going to feel like, okay, you know, are you out for me or are you here to help me? And when you give them this report card, hey, you know, uh, Dr. So-and-so, you know, here's, here's a report that we ran and, and we definitely need, we appreciate what you're doing and this is your performance, you know, and what do you think? Give us your feedback and perhaps, you know, based on our, in your feedback, we can help you. You know, it's, it's a matter of trying to help them versus trying Absolutely. to get after them. No, you're, you're spot on, but you know, I, I couldn't help, but, you know, um, focus on something that you said with regards to report cards and you know report cards for physicians very powerful just in general in healthcare very powerful CDI as well the problem with CDI report cards currently is that it it loops full, full circle back to what I said earlier where we're just scratching the surface with regards to data analytics in CDI and so our report cards are primitive where we have report cards that reflect things like query response rates and MCCCC capture rates, um, which may still look very shiny to a lot of people, but I'm here to really disrupt the industry and say, we need to stop doing that. These are not things that the physician should be seeing on his report card. We need to be leveraging data and using new metrics and determining what's going on with the physician's own patient mix in order to measure them. You cannot expect a an internal medicine physician and another internal medicine physician even though they're in the same specialty to have the same expectations with regards to severity reporting just because they're in the same specialty why because their patient mix is different they're seeing different patients within that specialty and so that's what I believe uh, or I know because I have the results to prove it I know is the ticket to really uh, telling the physicians that we're going to go the extra mile to make sure you have the right metrics and then give you the tools to improve those metrics if you do wish to. So it's like um it's like a you're you're like a like a fitness trainer for for physicians. You know, you monitor their progress and then you feed them, "Hey, this is how you're doing." But we're only giving you based upon what you do. And then I think you're you're talking about on the on the basis of population health, right? And uh, in regards to that, so it's not just okay you see these type of patients, but I think as an overall, based upon your documentation, you can say okay severity of illness, risk of mortality. I think those are the two key phrases that you want to work on, not just CC, <laughs> MCC. You know that definitely has been uh, aligned with a financial impact and the almighty dollar. But when you look at it from a severity risk or mortality standpoint, I think they can appreciate how sick their patients or how, how sick the, they're treating the patients in terms of, you know, their case, not their case mix, but um, the people that they treat. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, in CDI, attribution is a big, big deal as well. We want to make sure that the right patients are attributed to the right physician. We have a lot of hand handing over of patients or, or groups of patients with the hospitalist program, etc., and making sure that we're ensuring that we have a robust attribution policy and not just attributing a chart based on the physician who did the discharge summary, who probably only saw the patient to do the discharge summary in many cases. Um, so I think that plays a role as well. But no, I, 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 
I am very aligned with what you just said. We we need to sort of disrupt the industry because it's been too long. We've been doing things the same way for too long, and it's we haven't gained much traction. I don't believe. I think it's time for a shift. I really do believe it's time for a shift. Now, let me ask you in regards to that attribution. I know, especially for those that in the inpatient side and they have hospitalists. Now they have hospitalists in terms of, you know, when we say hospitalists, these are people who are either contracted or hired by the hospital to be, I guess, in, in essence, the internal medicine doctor for the case if they don't, you know, if they're a PCP or whoever it does not see them in the hospital. But this is a matter of a team. So uh, depending on their schedule, they tend to trade off patients. So you could have one patient, you can have a maybe <laughs> two, three doctors if there's a nocturnist thrown in there, right? And yes, yes. they could be or consultants. Yeah, yeah, or and consultants as well. So when you mean by you know, when, and when, in cases where you know they they have one physician doing the H and P, one physician doing the progress note, and then the first physician going back and doing the discharge summary, how how does that work in terms of uh, attributing the data? Yeah, that's a very good question. And that's where uh, having um, a sort of advanced data analytics comes into play again. You know, leveraging an advanced or robust methodology for attribution. So I can, if, if it's okay with you, I can tell you, know, we, we actually look at every single note in every single chart. Now, not necessarily with, with, with our own eyes, but uh, using technology, we're able to determine the amount of notes in this chart on this healthcare encounter or this hospital stay. And so, you know, if you have an internal medicine doc that wrote the majority of the notes and encountered in, in, in this patient the majority of the time using our methodology, we're able to attribute that uh, chart to the clinician who examined and wrote the most notes on that patient. Uh, and so that's that patient gets attributed to the physician or clinician who has touched the patient the most number of times. Now, the, the value in that, the value in that technology and in that methodology, Brian, is that if you can appreciate, if I'm identifying who touched the patient the most number of times, it allows me now to also identify if there was an advanced practitioner that touched the patient the most number of times or a resident that touched the patient the most. And if, as you can appreciate in, in, in academic medical centers, most of them struggle with CDI because of the residents, because there's a high turnover. They do several rotations. We really can't, you know, it falls into the attending. The attending doesn't have the time. But I, our methodology is now able to, I, to pick up a resident and then attribute performance on that resident because we will be able to follow that resident's patient mix throughout their rotation. And so that's the advantage, and we, we designed it that way because residents are a struggle. Uh, we designed it that way because surgeons have advanced practitioners that do a bulk of their um, notes. Uh, you know, and so we want to be able to go where the opportunity is and to get the, uh, to effect change in these clinicians' behavior. Good Lord, that's amazing. <laughs> so yeah, you basically it, it, go it, it, note by note, you attribute it to the individual who did the note, who treated the patient, and that's just in one account, correct? Yes, we get a data dump from the EMR. And what that does is uh, uh, it allows me to see who touched the patient. It also gives me the NPI number of that clinician. And so all of that gets factored in. 
to the attribution process and that's why like I said I'm able to identify so for example if you have an infectious disease consultant writing a significant amount of notes in the internal medicine patients chart so the chart is attributed to internal medicine as a whole but we see that there's uh, uh, that an infectious disease physician is writing a significant amount of notes in the group, this group of patients we're able to identify that infectious disease physician and give them their metrics as well based on the fact that they are contributing to the chart in a significant way. We can quantify that, so to speak. Right. I, I, I think that's very good that you're doing consultants as well because, you know, in, in terms of the whole entire chart, <laughs> you see issues of conflicting documentation where one saying, for example, sepsis, but the other one saying bacteremia, the pulmonologist saying failure, but the, the attending saying insufficiency. So, you know, how, how so in, and so I'm, I'm, I think I'm making it a little bit complicated, but hopefully you can answer that. How do you deal with that? You know, how is it that your data can not necessarily fix it, but I think um, uh, bring it out? Sure. So, so one thing that's, uh, um, you know, differentiates what I'm doing, what we're doing currently is first and foremost, you may have heard me say this earlier, we're looking at the patient mix. We're not benchmarking you against another facility. Benchmarking has been proven to be very unreliable in CEI because if you think of benchmarking, you know, you could have a group of poor performers there's still going to be outliers on both ends, even in that group of poor performers. So how do you know that you're not benchmarking against a poor performer in the industry? And so the data has been proven to really work against you when you, uh, when you look at benchmarking. And it's so, um, we're dealing with people in the industry, they're so stuck on the benchmarking that it's so hard to pull them away from it because it's all they've ever known and it's all they've ever, uh, you know, experienced and it's all the data that they've ever been exposed to. So to say to them that I'm not, lo I'm not benchmarking you against anyone else, I'm looking at the types of patients that walk through your doors and get admitted. So that's the first piece is we're, we're looking at the patient mix, the exact patient mix, the patients that are walking through the doors and being admitted. But we also control for the setting of that facility. So an AMC, a pneumonia patient walking into an AMC versus a pneumonia patient walking into a community hospital, very different patient uh, at the end of the day. So we, we identified the patient mix and then we identify uh, you know a regular attribution and then we identify which are the high prevalent high impact severity diagnoses in that patient mix and then we're able to tell you what you're currently documenting and coding hence coding them at, at what level and so we give you that delta and so out of the thousands of diagnoses we bring it down to a short list of diagnoses that have a high prevalence but are being underdocumented, specific to your patient mix. And so back to my earlier point, I'm not expecting you to be a subject matter expert in CDI, but I am expecting you to become very, very, very fluent in five diagnoses that we know you're encountering on a frequent basis, but you are incorrectly documenting or not documenting at all. And so allowing a physician or, or, or providing the physician, physician with data that says that here's your five diagnoses or here's two diagnoses, master them 
We'll monitor the data and we'll tell you when you've mastered them. And when you're done with those two, you can move on to the next. And if insufficiency, respiratory insufficiency is one of them, once you get it right, the data will reflect that you're now documenting them at the expected prevalence in your patient mix. You're more than welcome to move on to heart failure and deal with that one. And so it's about eating the elephant one bite at a time. Yeah. If you could use that analogy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like but that. Using, but using, yeah, but using data to back it up. Right. Um, what was I going to ask? But that's amazing. You know, uh, you may, and for those that are listening, I mean, keep in mind that. Uh, we also have HIM students uh, for those that are uh, preparing for the RHIA and the RHIT. Uh, Terrence is mentioning a lot of stuff. The reason why I brought him here is not from a CDI aspect, but also from a data analytics standpoint. Also from a management standpoint, you know, he mentions benchmarking. And you make a good point is when you try to compare one facility to the next, there's you can't compare them i mean really again it's just a matter of brushing the surface on terms of comparison they could be comparing them by hospital size and uh you know specialty and that's it you know they're not talking about resources uh you know patient uh, makes demographic geographic location none of that paper reports drive me nuts brian they drive me nuts because as soon as you start to improve performance within your facility, the paper of reports red flag you and say your MCCCC capture rates are too high. Oh, really? Have you looked at my patient mix? And that's the uh, the biggest frustration I have is that we're everyone, everyone, I haven't met anyone else in the industry right now that's not using benchmarking. And I mean, I, even when I talk to prospects and I say to them, you know, this, this is what I've been able to pick up based on your data. And they say, what are you using for benchmarking? I'm like, I'm not using anything. And that's very hard to comprehend for a lot of people in the industry because they're so anchored onto benchmarking. And I believe that that's one of the reasons we have not been able to gain favor with physicians. And it's also one of the reasons why we have a false sense of comfort with regards to our, our performance as as in CDI. And, and that also carries on to like things like HCAPs, all of those things, and then they're benchmarking, you know, <laughs> again with other facilities, and they're trying to compare them. So it becomes more like a competition rather than, okay, what is really your problem? It's not your problem against somebody else's. They really haven't identified what their true problem is. It may not be the problems that are, you know, standardized, but perhaps they need to individualize their own problems and fix it. That will then, I guess, you know, overall fix the the bigger issues. And then moving forward to the um, the fact that you're you, you're from one physician, you're you know, I think physicians tend to be again overwhelmed. And it's nice when you say, "Hey, look." Here's a small list <laughs> that we are going to progressively work on. And because sometimes we throw so many quarries at them, you know, uh, malnutrition, uh, sepsis, uh, respiratory failure, uh, you know, BMI, b- obesity, blood loss anemia. You're throwing them all out of the loop. And they're like, okay, I fixed this one. What about all this one? What about nobody's telling them, okay, you know, and I think they're just all discombobulated. But I think if you put them on track, you know, with with that type of report, say, okay, these are your five. Let's monitor them. Let's do two, fix those. We move on. You know, like you said, small pieces. And you know, it does take time. It doesn't take like an overnight situation. And physicians are fixed. It definitely, is going to take a lot of time. 
Yeah, and you know what? Here's here's the fact, Brian. We're not going to be able to remove the query process from a physician's workflow altogether, and so that's a that's great news for CDI um, individuals. The concept of CDI is not going anywhere. The problem, and I know that a lot of you are pulling your hair out as I, I'm saying this right now, the problem is that you're submitting the same query to the same physician on the same diagnosis month in, month out, and it's a, not a good use of your skills, your time, or your resources, and so that's where I think we need to at least see some change in physician behavior. And so you can use your skill set to address more complex charts. I always say the... Um, a CDI program in the eyes of, of a physician, crutch, but rather as a safety net. And I think that too many physicians have now become so reliant on the program. You know, I'll, I'll, pro, I'll provide subpar documentation. The CDI team is going to pick it up anyway. I'll answer oh, my query. Man. Hell, I might even get incentivized for answering that query, so I might as well just do it this way anyway because <laughs> my bonus depends on query response rate, so, so why not? Why not? And so... So that's where I think we're we're missing the boat, and and I actually wrote a piece about this. Um, I don't I don't even think it's published yet, but it's it's about the fact that this is ho- how we're contributing to waste in healthcare. Why? Because when we identify opportunity in CDI, in spite of having a CDI program, what organisations do is they put more eyes on the chart. They feel we need more CDI specialists, or we need to expand the scope of the program. But it's 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 not. I wouldn't say wasteful, but it's not a good use of resources. Whereas a more economical approach would be to start focusing on your physicians and get them to. I, I call it DIRFT it, D-I-R-F-T, do it right the first time. Get them to do it right the first time, and you you save money, you'd affect long-term change. Your current CDI team is not going anywhere. That's not going to happen, I, you know. And so I think it's just shifting focus a little bit to the physician, leveraging data analytics is where we're going to, where I would, where I am going to make the industry go. Let me, let me be a bit more confident here and say that because, like I said, I think we're ripe for some kind of disruption right now based on the, uh, the longevity of the uh, industry and what we've been able to achieve thus far. I think you know you, you you make a very good point because if if there is no change in CDI, then like you say, the physicians get incentivized. Plus, also the CDIs get incentivized because they're pushed to query more. And doesn't matter if the physician's correct. Now, if you have a bad physician, that that could be a good thing because you're. You're going to query and query and query, and guess what? Your productivity goes up, and then that also affects your paycheck, you know? And that, that definitely is not a good thing. Um, but sadly, sadly, Brian, I think, and I've spoken to many, many uh, colleagues and, and peers uh, who say that they're actually incentivized based on, or they're, yeah, incentivized or they're uh, driven or held accountable for the number of responses they get on their queries, which is also very frustrating because if I was a smart CDS, and I believe all our CDSs are extremely smart and competent, and, uh, you know, to be able to paint this picture like our coders do, who have this daunting task of painting a picture in from the physician's words um, and, and, and recreating the healthcare encounter, if you're smart, 
you're only going to submit queries to physicians who actually answer you. So the ones that don't answer you, you're going to stay away from them because you'll be able to meet your productivity and quota measures and incentivization just from focusing on the guys that will answer you. And so that is why, uh, you know, consulting firms are still identifying opportunities in spite of organizations having CDI programs in place. That's that's the classic cherry picking. <laughs> Absolutely. And I don't blame them. I would do the same thing. Like I said, if you incentivize me to answer queries, I'm going to make sure I give you very subpar documentation and then wait for the query, answer it and collect my check. Thank you. That I definitely that. is you know, that definitely is going to be you know, that definitely bordering on grounds of fraudulent practice somewhere if it, you know what I'm saying? That's very dangerous. You know, if if, yeah. you, if, if anybody yeah. wants to look at it that way that is definitely dangerous now gosh what was it gonna say um oh yes okay continuing on with that is that you know query in query day in query day out i mean my gosh the monotony is gonna make you go crazy and i think like you like you said cdis are very intelligent but i think we need to utilize our talents in a better manner and you know i think we're just so worried about doing queries meeting productivity we're bogged down with that type of management uh requirement i think we need to elevate above, above just doing the queries and i think we need to be more connecting with physicians more educating them more developing relationships and you know hopefully leveraging this type of data and say hey look you know, this is how you're doing, you know, and that's where you begin the true process of improvement, clinical documentation improvement. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I I would like to see the following in the industry. I would like to see, you know, our, our very clinically competent CDSs spending more time on complex cases that they really had to think about and use their clinical acumen to determine that there's an opportunity for more specificity on a diagnosis in this chart as opposed to them um, you know getting bogged down by submitting simple queries that they know they've they've talked to this physician about in the past so, so that's the one piece the other piece that I'd like to see is that leveraging data analytics is where we actually make a physician's documentation quality something for the physician to be proud of okay so where they take ownership of it you know i, I always compare yeah I, I always we need to empower them and make them feel good about their documentation metrics and so they to the point where they're actually bragging to it and also to the point where it makes them very marketable in the industry so if you if you have a metric that represents true documentation quality by a physician and you put that, it needs to get to the stage where that physician is able to put that metric on a resume when applying for a job at the next facility. And that metric must be recognized by that next facility and saying, I want that physician on my team because they have this documentation behavior or habit that really is going to be worth its weight in gold to our organization and to our patients. And so it's about, because right now, physicians, and forgive my, me saying this, they don't give a crap about physician, uh, clinical documentation, really. It's a, very it's a very blanket statement to make, but in general, it's been put very low on the totem pole. I want to see that documentation 
metric or that documentation measurement go higher up on the pole and sit right up there with your mortality rates, with your severity of illness, your risk of mortality, all of those indices, that's where I want to see it because that's where it deserves to be. And I, I always draw the analogy, in South Africa, we don't pay our you know, our police force very well. It's not a very prestigious job. And so we, we, we suffer the consequences of that. We, we have people that join the force for the wrong reasons, very good education, and there's a lot of corruption internally. Whereas in the States, it's a, it's a fairly pre- prestigious job to be part of the police force. And so it, it works differently here. And so that's what I'm trying to say is that if we start making documentation quality a prestigious um, attribute to, for a clinician to have, I think that physicians will want to take more ownership of what they represent in documentation quality. We're not there yet, by no means. We're, we're not there yet because it's, it's, uh, CDI has been, unfortunately, over the years, uh, the, way we've, the way leadership has uh, portrayed it to our physicians, it's, it's led us down the wrong path. It's, it's, is it repairable? Absolutely, but there's a lot of work to be done. Now, let me ask you, um, how, what are your thoughts in regards to MACRA? From what I understand, MACRA is being implemented, and that's being, I guess, the incentivization for physicians to do better in their documentation. What are your thoughts on MACRA? Yeah, so a lot of people are sitting on the benches right now and wondering, with all the uncertainty with the new uh, administration, a lot of uncertainty with regards to MACRA, value-based healthcare, etc. So I believe that MACRA is not going anywhere. Uh, MACRA and MIPS is not going anywhere because it really is a, is a bipartisan policy, and so it's not going anywhere. But here's what I can tell you from, from liaising with physicians in the field. Firstly, they're not very knowledgeable about it. They see it as another initiative that really is under this value-based umbrella that they feel if they ignore long enough, it might go away. Just like a lot of other things, I'm going to be honest with you, we've been, I say we, but CMS has been threatening physicians about taking away the fee-for-service model for eons. Eons, and they've just ignored it, and some guys are ready to retire. They've never seen it occur. And so just like ICD-10 was, you know, they've ignored it for a long time, and it kept on getting delayed and delayed and delayed. And I see this as, you know, from what I see in the, in the field, physicians are not very familiar with what the requirements are. Uh, most of them, they, they, they don't have a firm understanding of what is required or what the impact is. And they also feel that if they ignore it long enough, it's probably going to go away as well. And I don't believe the penalty is large enough for them to be engaged early on. The penalty is, is about, I think, what's it, 4 to 8%. I, I, I read an article, and I agree with this. Unless, until it hits 10%, at least 10%, you're not going to get any kind of change in behavior from physicians. That's the bottom line, and it's the truth. Uh, I'll, take a, I'll, I'll take a cut of 4% annually. I'm okay with that. If it means me not changing my behavior, I'm okay with that. But as soon as you get to 10% and above, now that makes a huge difference for in, in my life, in my lifestyle. And so I, I, I don't believe it's going anywhere. And I think that physicians are not very familiar with what's required of them with regards to macro. We in the industry, you know, in the HIM professions, uh, CDI profession, we're, we're very familiar with what's going on. But the average physician at the bedside, it's just 
something else that they've heard about in the industry, but they don't know what the expectations are of them. And you know what? Come three years from now, if they get getting penalized 4%, it's probably not going to affect them that much, and right. it's not going to change behavior. Yeah, So right. they're going to continue doing things the way they always have been doing. I mean, I, Sad I but true. I hear them talk about it a lot, but I don't... <laughs> I don't think they're concerned about it. You know, it's like, it's like, and, and what, you know, what am I going to do? I'm just going to carry on my own. You know, they're not incentivized. And I think that's, that's the key word. They're not empowered to do anything uh, about it. I mean, if they lose money, Hey, look, we'll do more patience, you know, we'll compensate a little bit more. Uh, but like you said, I think once you reach that threshold of about when it's a big hit, <laughs> then maybe they're going to be incentivized to do something. All right. So we, gosh, we talked about so much of a lot. Of, I could continue on a little bit more, but I do want to learn more about uh, the company that you're involved in, uh, Clin Intel. So uh, can you tell me a little bit more about the company and how, you know, what kind of services that uh, they provide? Sure. Clin Intel is a CDI data analytics and physician training software firm. So essentially what we can do is we can analyze your patient mix based on claims data and we can estimate the true severity of your patient mix, and then we can quantify the negative impact that it's having on case mix index from physician under documentation of specific diagnoses. So essentially, Brian, what we can do is we can give you the CMI gap at the health system level, at the facility level, at the specialty level, and because we're not benchmarking, I can give you the CMI gap for every single physician as well, based on looking at their patient mix. And then what we do is we're able to is with which diagnoses and with which physicians. And using the data, we can say, of these thousands of diagnoses for your hospitalist group, here are the top seven diagnoses that they're missing consistently and they're grossly under-documenting for their patient mix. And then we provide our online training to ensure that they're able to uh, get familiar with what's the compliant documentation of those diagnoses. And these are designed on their smartphones. They're very short videos that they need to watch two to three minutes, three minutes maximum. But we also have, you know, mobile pocket cards on that short list of diagnoses. Nothing more, nothing less. The, the the real magic occurs, Brian, is when we start reporting. When we start reporting, we start reporting on what the clinically expected prevalence of certain diagnoses in a physician's patient mix should be, and we can actually monitor their improvement over time and compare their performance to their peers on specific diagnoses. So that's where we get the most traction is in the, in the reporting capabilities. And so uh, purely a software as a service uh, business, you know, and I, I spent some time in the consulting world where as a physician I would have to go on site and do face-to-face education, training, rounding, etc. And, uh, and, you know, we would charge the clients an arm and a leg, but we couldn't get these guys in a room to begin with because, you know, we, we'd have these have these fancy posters and whatever, whatnot, and just getting their, in, in them into the room was a struggle. But the few that did come to the room, you know, I was able to engage them and, and get them talking about uh, their documentation and the consequences and the impact of not providing sufficient information using the DRG system and, and the SOI and ROM. And they leave very excited and engaged right. 
for about two weeks, <laughs> and, and then and then because it's just by default they they go back into their old habits, and it's because and so firstly you're not able to actually identify what did that physician get out of the training, and secondly you're not able to show any kind of metrics that shows that this physician actually did improve, and I'm not talking about query response rates, I'm not talking about MCC, I'm talking about did they really improve based on the information they got out of that training session. And so that, for me, was one of the reasons why uh, I, I transitioned again and, you know, ended up teaming up with Clinintel is because that's our vision is, you know, the physicians want to do the right thing, just in general, whether it's CDI, etc. In as a blanket statement, physicians want to do the right thing. We have to make sure, yeah, we have to make sure that we give them the tools and the data-based metrics to empower them. And so that's essentially what Clinintel does. I, I think... I think you you guys do the next step is you know you you educate the physicians but then you follow up with on them you know is the fact that hey we're not going away yet we're not flying back home <laughs> we're still absolutely, watching you absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. so we we're, we're showing them how they're performing on specific diagnoses so to so to draw a, a sort of envision that Brian what we're able to do is we're able to tell you what the clinically expected prevalence of a diagnosis is in your specific patient mix. So I'm not saying to you that your next patient is going to have malnutrition, but using advanced analytics and a predictive model, I'm able to tell you that there's a 25% prevalence of malnutrition in your patient mix. Essentially what that's saying is that one in four patients that you see over a course of time is going to have the diagnosis of malnutrition, almost guaranteed. So it behooves you to make sure that you understand what the clinical criteria are, is for malnutrition that's been approved at your facility and what compliant documentation with regards to medical decision-making and evaluation and management uh, treatment goes into that compliant documentation so that when your patient does meet these criteria, it sets off a red flag in your in your subconscious and now you're proactively providing the information on malnutrition and its severity as opposed to just waiting for the CDI specialist to submit that same query to you month in and month out. And so that's what we're able to do now because we know the prevalence of a diagnosis in every physician's patient mix and it changes from hospital to hospital, right? Because it depends, remember I said I'm controlling for unique setting, demographic and geographic locations. And because I know the prevalence, I can pick up if there's under-documentation of a condition, but I can also pick up if there's over-documentation of a condition. And so if there's over-documentation, I can alert you and say, hey, you know what, Brian, you might want to do a focused audit on Dr. Terence's charts for the last quarter of 2016 for malnutrition. And so I would rather you do that audit, Brian, then the rack auditors do that audit. Right. And so uh, oh. very frequently, yeah, very frequently I can identify over-documentation as well because I'm looking at your patient mix and you have a ridiculously high prevalence of this condition based on your patient mix. Mm -hmm. Do a focused internal audit and we can, we can file it away. If we ever have a rack audit down the line, we have something to show that we've been taking some proactive uh, action to make sure that we're remaining compliant. So, so yeah, that's that's awesome. Is it's not just the physicians, but you also turn it around for the CDIs to do something different. Um, I guess a question do I I, ha I ask is when you 
let's say potentially in one of your clients, right? And you know, one of the CDI programs, when you implement this type of um, program in their program, and then you stay a while, do you hand it off to them to continue that type of behavior with the physicians? I'm talking the behavior, that program to the CDI program to continue it on after you go with their physicians. Yeah, so so it's a it's a subscription model, Brian. So uh, essentially, you pay on on an annual fee for the number of physicians that are part of the program. So it's a subscription model. What this model does is it does not replace the CDI efforts, but it gives your CDI efforts a competitive advantage. It gives you access to data and and information that you don't currently have, and that our algorithms are able to provide you. And so it can help you direct internal efforts, whether it's education, whether it's uh, uh, focusing your, your resources internally. But if we, so it's, it's, it's a turnkey model. Uh, there's no reason for any of us to be on site. Uh, everything is cloud-based, so you can access all the uh, performance analytics uh, real-time. Each physician can access their own performance and their own shortlisted diagnoses because, you know, two physicians may be in the same specialty, but their shortlisted diagnoses may look very, very different based on their patient mix, right? Uh, you may have the highest uh, opportunity in hyponatremia. I may have the highest opportunity in encephalopathy because my patient mix is different. And so every physician has access to this on a cloud-based format, uh, platform. And so if we leave, uh, you know, in the proverbial in, sense of the word, In the physical leave, sense, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we're never really on site. Everything is done online. Everything's done and stored in the cloud. But if we, let's just say, you decide not to work with us anymore, and if we pull away the reports, what happens is now you're going to see physicians lagging back and going back into their old form of uh, habits again because the reports are not there to hold them accountable That's anymore. It. Yes. So you provide that accountability. Plus also, it, it, I think what you provide, it doesn't, um, it, it allows the CDI specialist not to fly blind. You know, they just go in, okay, where's my cue? Where's my coffee? I'm going to start knocking these charts out. Yeah, no, and, and <clears throat> you know, I think that there's a lot of technology out there today that really helps our CDSs prioritize their workflow and prioritize which charts and I think it's extremely helpful for them because I think that unfortunately the, the industry, the scope of the program has enlarged so much over the last few years that our expectations of our clinical documentation specialists are just pretty ridiculous. I mean, I, I think that if we're asking them to be effective and in what they're able, able to accomplish, we're putting some pretty ridiculous expectations on them. So I'm glad that there's something there to help them be more efficient. I'm glad that there's something there to help them prioritize their workflow. Uh, there's a need for that. There's an absolute need for that. But once again, those tools and technology uh, technologies are there to make the CDS more efficient. I think it needs to be counterbalanced with something on the clinician side. When I say clinician, I mean uh, the physicians who are providing the documentation. Right now it's skewed, I believe. And so we need something to counterbalance it on the physician side if we really want to see or optimize the results that we're getting. Gosh, fascinating. Man, 
Dr. Govender, I could talk to you all day long. <laughs> and I could you. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> so uh, that's pretty much our time. Let me ask you two more questions before we wrap this up. Gosh, I could keep on going. My gosh. Anyways, so my number question number one, um, what does the future hold for you and Clint Intel? So we want to, uh, or we're on our way to really disrupting the industry. We're on our way to getting people to think outside the box and take off their blinders in CDI and really look at things very differently. You may have seen this make the rounds on LinkedIn as well with regards to the saying that says, the, the most dangerous statement you can make is, that's the way we've always done it. And I believe there's a lot of truth in that. And I think that it's time for disruption in CDI. And I'm not talking about disruption with regards to artificial intelligence and, uh, you know, prompting the physician real time, etc. I don't believe that's affecting any change in physician behavior. As a matter of fact, I, I speak to physicians. They're more than happy to click out of that stuff and move on and just ignore it, especially because some of these prompts really doesn't take the patient's clinical context into account. It's really just pulling data, data points from a chart and giving suggestions to the physician. So a lot of physicians, you know, they may be leveraging the tool, they may be getting some benefit out of the tool, but as a whole, it's not affecting a change in behavior. Uh, and then, of course, you get that physician who's so become so dependent on that tool, and then what if they move to an organization that doesn't have the tool? What happens then? So I believe that we need to really, really raise the energy level of the industry to something completely different. And, and our model at Clinintel is striving to do that. We, we strive to do that on a daily basis. We want the industry to look at things differently. We want you to take away your blinders and start being open-minded about this because, you know, you, you can analyze every, sorry, you can audit every single chart of every single patient that comes through, comes through your doors, Brian. Uh, that's, you know, that's possible. It's extremely costly, firstly. And it's also auditor dependent. It depends on, it's not very objective because it's auditor dependent. It depends on who's doing the audit. And if you think about it, if CMS is, CMS is identifying outliers based on analytics, they're identifying whether you're raising a red flag based on analytics. And so if we're not leveraging analytics in the CDI industry, we are not in the same playing field. We're fighting a losing battle. So it's, so it's time for us to get on par and tell and tell, and my own personal mission is to get the industry to start thinking along those lines and to start some kind of disruption to get the results. Right. You got to be on the cutting edge. And I think that's, that's key and that's what you're trying to bring about. So, uh, Terrence, let me ask you, would you, would you ever do a podcast? Would you ever create a podcast? Because you have a wonderful voice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I you know we spoke about this earlier about the way the industry is going. Uh, you know, where, where physicians are becoming more entrepreneurial. Yeah. And yes, I've you know I I enjoy blogging. I, Brian. I see you following uh, some podcasts. I think it's it's uh, uh, planting the seed there. Yeah. No. I I think that uh, it's. I, let's just say this. I I wouldn't. Uh, I, I wouldn't say no to that. Yeah, no, right. <laughs> if, no. if time if time allows, I would I would sure. love to 
go along those lines. Yeah, you, yeah, got, you got the you got the voice, you got the accent. Oh man! <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll take that as a compliment. Yeah, okay, no, Brian. Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> and uh, let let me ask you one more question, uh, uh, Terence is. What final words do you have to give to our audience? What are what some uh, what best words of advice you can give? So you know we said a lot over the last hour, but here's the the I think I think what I said towards the uh, tail of the interview still still holds true. Uh, I want the industries to to start having an open mind about how to do things better. I want the industry to start focusing on empowering the physicians, and I want the industry to really start. I, I think we have shiny object syndrome uh, in the industry. You know, as soon as something new comes along, we drop what we're doing and we start shifting focus. That's what's happening right now with outpatient CDI. I, I you know, we're, we're shifting focus. And I still don't believe that we've done all that we can do on the inpatient side. Should we focus on outpatient? Yeah, absolutely. But I think that we're having shiny object syndrome. People say to me all the time, Terrence, do you guys, you know, are you doing something in the outpatient? I'm like, I would love to, but I'd like to stay focused here. Uh, you know, the, I learned somewhere that focus stands for follow one course until successful. I don't think that we've achieved that uh, throughout the industry yet on the inpatient side. But if we're really affecting change in documentation behavior, Brian, on the inpatient side, it means that if you're true, if you're really affecting change, then really what you're doing is you're changing the documentation culture of your organization, and that's going to bleed over onto the outpatient side anyway. Because a physician that that has developed good documentation habits is not going to limit himself or herself to just when he's documenting on the inpatient side. It's just going to be part of their practice moving forward, and that's what I want the industry to strive for. All right, Terrence. It's like it's like me and you kind of like talking about hip-hop philosophy, but now but in this regard, it's kind of like we're talking about CDI philosophy. We could do this all freaking day. Well, anyways. All day long. I know. So next time, I think we should do a part two, could just continue on the discuss, discussion of CDI, hip-hop philosophy. I think that's, that's awesome. So, I like that. Yeah, it's pretty nice. Well, Terrence, thank you very much. I do appreciate uh, you being being here it's been a lot of fun hopefully we'll set up another one with you i'd love to be on brian and best of luck this i follow it as well so you know i've listened to all the ones that you've posted on linkedin uh and i uh, am really excited about what you're doing and i want to thank you for doing what you're doing in the industry we appreciate you so there you have it. That's my interview with Dr. Terrence Govender. You can go to medicalcodinggeek.com slash podcast to get all of the show notes. And to learn more about Clin Intel, you can go to Clin Intel, C-L-I-N-I-N-T-E-L-L.com. Not Elsewhere Classified is presented and produced by Medical Coding Geek. Music was brought to you by 43 and Coyote Hearing. Medical Coding Geek offers tutoring and media services for the medical coding, health information, and CDI community. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at MED Coding Geek. That's MED Coding Geek. You can also find us on our website, medicalcodinggeek.com, where you can find and listen to all the podcast episodes plus the show notes from today. Make sure to subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. We would definitely appreciate it. 
And again, thank you for being part of this podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kui, and you have just listened to Not Elsewhere Classified. MedicalCodingGeek.com